Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Whether you're buying a new car or used one, it's a big investment, which is why you should choose Pennzoil Platinum. It helps extend the life of your engine and protect it up to 15 years or 500,000 miles, whichever comes first, guaranteed. That's because Pennzoil's base oil is made from natural gas and 99.5% free from engine-clogging impurities. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Enrollment required. Keep your receipts. Other conditions apply. See Pennzoil.com slash warranty for full details. Find it at Firestone Complete Auto Care. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of July 13th, 2020. We are just 11 days away from opening day. Plenty of highlights from the intra-squad scrimmages have been like an appetizer before the full-course meal. While satisfying, there are a couple of issues the White Sox will have to navigate to start 2020. Yoan Makata has been placed on the 10-day injured list, and Michael Kopech has opted out of the season. How does this impact the White Sox near and long-term future? We'll have James Fegan of The Athletic join us shortly to discuss. We'll also chat about the home runs being hit during the intra-squad scrimmages, the return of Dane Dunning and Jimmy Lambert, and answer your questions in P.O. Sox. To start this week's show, we are joined by our guest to get the latest from the White Sox clubhouse. He's the Chicago White Sox beat reporter for The Athletic, and you can hear him on his podcast, White Sox Business, plus the Chicago radio stations as well. Uh, It's James Fegan, and hello, James. Thanks for coming back on the show. I don't know when I'll next have an update on the White Sox clubhouse. Uh, oh, hopefully 2021. But uh, let's try to do our best. <laughs> yeah, it's, more accurate would be getting us the latest from the White Sox Zoom meetings. Uh, it's James Fegan. No, I, that was going to be my first question before we get into the what's going on with the White Sox. I'm curious, James, how are you going to be able to do your job this upcoming season? How is the way that the league has set up to... Uh, combat or prevent more outspread 
uh, cases of COVID-19 uh, impacting your ability to cover the White Sox in 2020? Well, you know, I feel like they're providing a fair amount, uh, at least what would normally be. They're providing right now what they would be providing uh, in a normal spring training, in the sense that they set up, like, the first couple of days of spring training, you know, they there's kind of like general understanding. So like, well, everybody's going to want to talk to Tim Anderson at some point as he gets in the camp. So we're going to set up one big group interview with Tim Anderson. Everyone's going to want to talk to Lucas Giolito at some point. We're going to talk to, going to um, set up a group interview with Lucas Giolito. And on top of that, now that they're just kind of just instantly jumping to playing games with the normal spring training, you'll get everybody. Like today, we talked to Gio Gonzalez, who pitched, and we talked to Dane Dunning, who pitched. And we talked to Ronaldo Lopez yesterday because we didn't get to talk to him the day before. So they're doing a lot in terms of setting up these group interviews that would normally be the standard bearer uh, for what a, a PR department uh, provides uh, and a, during a heavy portion of spring training. It usually calms down a little bit after the first week, and then you're only talking to one pitcher. So they're doing a lot. But especially for someone like me, who's all about like, well, you got to pay a subscription to get the special level of detail that I'm going to provide you. You know, you make your money on the one-on-ones or what you're doing kind of extra or what you're kind of doing to augment the coverage. And not only is it much harder to, um, you know, the PR staff that might get you a one-on-one or the fact that you most of the time just facilitate your own by grabbing someone on your own, obviously that can't happen. So that's extra time for the PR staff to grab people for you to fill out maybe what would be, you know, I, I did a story on the, the bullpen where probably everybody in spring training, where probably everybody in the bullpen, except I probably quoted seven pitchers and, and Cooper and Renneria and Han in it. Like that, that, that sort of thing would take a really long time to put together now. Um, you'd probably lose the motivation to do it, especially for someone just, just to get that in-depth coverage on something as small as the bullpen in general. So that's harder now. And, and they definitely accommodate one-on-one requests. And I, I definitely can't lodge a complaint about how the White Sox PR staff has handled it. I did one-on-ones these past uh, two days with uh, Dane Dunning and, and Jimmy Lambert, as well as some other requests that were kind of uh, non-baseball related that they set up for me. They've been great, but it's just there's the diminished capacity. And for someone who's trying to create these very layered stories that talk to a lot of people, um, um, providing a lot of perspectives on a single topic, that takes so much longer to put together. Like Steve Greenberg was sometimes like dropped a couple of like really in-depth stories um, that were quoting so many people, like quoting every pitcher. He has money ground all like affected. So it was really great. It was also clear that like Steve had done that a lot, uh, assembled some of the early stages of that during spring training where it's so much more feasible to do that. And even though it's very labor intensive, it's possible to do it. If you're a columnist doing a couple of days uh, of work, picking around the clubhouse, that's just a lot more labor intensive now. And, you know, I, I've heard other teams that have kind of uh, suggested, you know, lean on your relationships a little bit, contact players separately to, to call them up. I probably haven't done a ton of that in that specific respect so far, but I feel like that's probably the way team players will have to, or reporters will have to lean going forward. Um, it's basically like the offseason never ended in terms of you have to rely on your contacts and you can't really just like expect everything to come to you through open clubhouse or the PR staff setting it up, up for you. And even though they're doing a lot to kind of make the normal stuff that they provide in group still happen uh, right now, I personally can't rely on that. And the fact that like, you know, not only is every other person on the beat who's usually coming every game going to do that, but every radio station, every TV station is going to have the same stuff. And, you know, it's not really a situation where it's right for me to complain about that because, you know, they can't get access either. Uh, But it it doesn't serve usually what I'm expected to provide uh, to my readers and especially to my employer. 
are you going to be able to travel with the team or is this going to be one of those situations you're like us riding the Peloton for an hour while watching the White Sox game and then getting a chance to hop in a Zoom after the game? I'm able to travel with the team. It's yet to be decided if I we find a reason to do it. Um, basically, the debate is mm. what do you get out of traveling if you don't get extra access? Obviously, not only do you just get clubhouse when you go on the road, but you get a better clubhouse where there's less people. There's only traveling riders. It's easier to get guys for set time. They seemingly have less places to go to avoid you. Uh, so the clubhouse usually has more <laughs> players in it as well. Um, yeah. They usually have a long, they, they all come in one bus in the hotel. So everyone gets there and everyone's there for the entire 45 minutes. Suppose the people kind of like petering in and out and having their different schedules or being going to the training table at a different time as they are at home clubhouse. So road to clubhouse is so much better. That's supposed to justify the fact that like, say Cleveland is a hundred nights for a hotel and you fly there and that's maybe 150, $200. And they, you know, uh, all your meals there and um, you know, go into if yeah, usually in Cleveland you can walk in the hotel the park. But generally the idea of if you add up plane, hotel, um, any kind of car rides or meals, that's a several hundred dollar trip. And I probably wouldn't fly a plane now. I'd probably rent a car and drive across the Midwest, which you can do with the division shaking out as it is. But still gonna be several mm-hmm. hundred dollars every time it's there. Can I justify that level of expense with what I'm gonna get? And the question that a lot of writers pair with themselves is should we push or should the BBWAA push for there's special access or there's unique access for um, riders to travel. Now, on one hand, it's like, yeah, there's always used to be a special status for riders who are really traveling, who are really there every day, who really are supposed to build accountability and trust with, uh, with players and coaches and front office by the fact that they're always there. So that kind of keeps them in check for how they deal with us and how we deal with them. Should there be some special reward for that? Yeah, some instinct you do, but if you provide that, are you now providing a carrot that, is encouraging people to put themselves at risk health-wise for the sake of their job. Because now a decision to stay at home and, you know, I, say that you're an older writer or you have some sort of condition makes you high risk. If it was previously it'd be a purely decision of, you know, it's just not right for me. Uh, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to do Zoom calls. Uh, I, I, it's better for me at home. Now it's a, I'm going to lose something specifically professionally if I'm not traveling. And now maybe you're yeah. putting somebody who is on, on the borderline, who are going to, uh, you know, care to the size of caution. Maybe now they're going to risk it because they don't know if there's going to be a, a beat writer job at their paper another year if they don't show out. Maybe they're, they're not sure what the future lies for them specifically if they don't kind of go that extra mile. Maybe they just don't know, like, if their boss likes them enough that they'll really take sympathy on them if they say, like, well, I, I'm worried about my health. Now you're providing this weird incentive structure, which I think we have to be careful about. Yeah, it sounds like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you go, you're putting yourself at risk. If you don't go, you're missing out on opportunities to cover unique stories that nobody else is covering. Good luck, James. (laughs) 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 Uh, But no, as we mentioned as far as in the show's intro, Friday night the White Sox had the news dump as they announced that Yohan Makata went on the 10-day injured list and Michael Kopech opted out of the 2020 season. I like to start with the more pressing issue for the White Sox, and that's Yohan Makata's status and his ability to be ready for opening day. James, how likely is it that Makata will be ready for the White Sox and in uniform on opening day? Well, on a purely like play it straight down the middle basis, I don't know. Because, uh, you know, there's no confirmation that he's, what his condition is. And, um, you know, the athletics 
company policy is not to report on uh, you know any COVID nineteen cases unless the player confirms it or the team announces it, which, you know, which usually comes to player approval, of course. Um, so I haven't like tried to break down and confirm that that's what it is because that's not really how we approach it. Now, obviously, we can do the deduction that there's literally two guys who have been unaccounted for, and there's two positive tests with players that the White Sox have announced, and they said they're asymptomatic. So from that, and not having any further updates, not really pressing for it, um, we would assume that this is not, since we do not know of it, and the White Sox have not provided any other physical cause for him being out, that this is not a severe case like the idea that we are assuming that he has like the worst case scenario or that he's showing symptoms or, you know, whatever is happening with him. We do not know of any severe case that is um, affecting him that would affect him long-term. So at this point, we're literally waiting day by day for him to come back. So the calculation at that point was how much ramp up time does he need? I think, you know, for it to be ideal, it would probably have been, you know, I think most hitters are rushing to get, back timing wise three weeks we might see some walkiness in the opening start um at this point we're less than two weeks um we were talking about absolute bare minimum for him to get up to speed um you know frank menachino was talking to on the zoom call tomorrow as he probably or not tomorrow yesterday two days ago as you probably widely seen because everyone has access to zoom calls said he thought you know bare minimum 15 to 20 at that could get him basically in the position where they're, they feel okay just throwing him out there. I think there's some concerns on that, of that Yoman is his big thing this season was trying to add flexibility to his legs, work out his legs, all, all the things to prevent him from making it four for four with straining his hamstring at some point in the season, which I think he's done every year of his career at this point. So there is going to be some idea that they're going to be rushing him into everyday action before they got a, a chance to really build, ratchet up his work. A little bit so that would be the concern but as far as i don't think they would hold them back significantly towards that because i think if anything this week has explored the how little there really is behind them at third base uh when you don't have your franchise guy that you've signed through 2025 to, to be there um mm-hmm. obviously it's not a position you usually think of well let's put a ton of resources into the backup of the best player on our team that's not usually how you operate um so definitely they need him, and I think they would probably push him out there as soon as he was available. Um, I think they probably would abide by the whole 15-20 at-bat uh, Like If we get him four or five games, yeah, send him out here. But at this point, I, like the rest of you, every day are checking the lineup. It's like, oh, is he back yet or is he not? <laughs> yeah. I would think that maybe he isn't you know, the first day he's in camp necessarily an interest squad, but I'm sure they would trumpet it upon his return. Uh that he's back. I think it's a day-to-day process of really any day he could be back. And then it's about then when it happens, checking on the schedule and saying, does he really have enough time? But I think the season's fate kind of hinges on him being productive. So they probably will try to get him back as soon as they can. So thankfully, Chester Cuthbert is back from Nicaragua. So there's some, there, there won't be utter craziness uh, at third base on opening day. So is that the resolution then? If Yoan Makata cannot go on opening day, it's Chelsea Cuthbert that will start at third base for the White Sox, or is there somebody else that is in running or in contention to be the opening day third baseman for the White Sox? I, I think it's Cuthbert because if for no reason when I asked the day that if you took it at face value about what everyone's saying, because and managers are put into such a tough spot of like you don't want especially Ricky, who's very supportive of his guys. You don't want to say like, yeah, well, Andrew Vaughn's playing third base, but he's 
fundamentally incapable of doing it. We're only doing it on a lark. He can't do it. That's not something he would ever say about his own player. That'd be a bad thing to say about Andrew Vaughn. Right. All the right. benefit of the exercise of you know making him more mobile with his speed and working on his feeling would probably be canceled out by how much you demoralize them by going in public and saying, he ain't no third day. They're not going to say that. But when I inquired, like, is this serious? Is this something you'd really, like, you know, consider long-term as a position? I mean, I'm looking at the stats. He never even played third base one game at Cal. Is this real? The response was like, hey, you know, look, it's in your squad. Mankata and Cuthbert are not there. We need somebody to stand there. That's, you know, it's, it's beneficial for him. Um, so why not do it? We don't have we don't have a regular guy. That's why he's out there. So based on that, and the fact that Cusper has kind of immediately come there, and you know, if we want a third base, has become a bit more scattershot of the site. I feel like he's a backup there. Uh, obviously, Medic could play there too if they needed, and I, I think he makes the team as the utility guy. Um, but Chester Cusper, uh, the man who I saw in person hit two home runs off Jose Quintana. Uh, <laughs> Didn't, didn't didn't feel like that was a great response for great value for my ticket, but I saw it. Um, I think he'd be the backup third base. The second news item was Michael Kopech opting out. You wrote a you wrote a post about an idea of why Kopech did opt out in 2020, uh, role not being clear cut for the season, and there is an injury risk trying to ramp up for a 60 game season coming off of Tommy John. Uh, obviously, this is Kopech's choice to skip 2020. I don't blame him for doing so with everything that's going on. But how does this impact the White Sox pitching options for 2020, James? Uh, I think you went from, man, we've got all these tools. How can we use them? Super relievers, uh, piggyback, tandem, to now you got got six major league starters in five slots. And, yeah, that's probably as much as you need for a two-month span. You're probably going to have someone hurt. You're probably going to have an effect with this. Uh, you got your little your depth there in, in Dane Dunning and Jimmy Lambert, and th- that's good guys to slide in for a spot start. Or you know, if there's two injuries, and you know, at that point maybe the season's kind of hitting the rocks a little bit, and it's good usage and repetition for them. But those are not like you know we slide them in and we don't expect to miss a beat level starters. Right now, I think what you have is good depth for a rotation to get through a season, um, especially a two month season. So um, I, I don't. Definitely Kopech is, I would probably still term him, even though Lucas Giulia was so good last year. I would say he's legitimately still the highest ceiling arm uh, in that whole group. I don't think he would have been better than Giulio this year. I wouldn't have bet on that. But he's a guy you could really raise uh, the level of play more more than any other addition you were making. So it's a blow. But I think, it, I think of it in terms of more, it shifts them from – the team that would really kind of flaunt and use their starting depth as a weapon, the team that, you know, has what it needs. And you're going to need a good season out of Ronaldo Lopez. You're going to need a good season out of Dylan Seath. And you're going to need Carlos Rodon. You basically have, you know, your lowest quiz grade gets dropped type of situation with your, your, your starting uh, rotation at the moment. Uh, you really don't have that much time to fool around and figure out which one that's going to be. Uh, and, you know, hopefully they're all healthy and, you can use one and play around with uh, somebody as a bulk inning guy, but that's generally not how seasons go. And the fact that you've already lost one, you know, obviously for a very unique 2020-related reason, I feel like testifies to that. Back to Michael Kopech, though. Looking ahead to 2021, I feel like that it's going to be a repeat of what we thought 2020 was going to be for Kopech. He'll start the year in AAA, break off some rust, and when uh, he proves to the White Sox that he could take the ball every fifth day and be effective, he'll join the team in Chicago. What do you think Kopech's future with the White Sox is 
now that he's opting out of 2020? In terms of like whether they would um, stagger him again, I, I think, or, or just in general? I think a little bit of both. Like, do you see them staggering him again in 2021 in which more than likely he could start in AAA? Or do you think that starting next year that the White Sox are comfortable having him in the rotation in Chicago? Well, I think if there's one thing clear from reaching out to both sides is that, I mean, I don't want to say that there was one, like, when you're listing all, all the factors that you're given when you reach out to, uh, you know, his camp for, for contact or for basically an explanation, I, I, no one seemed really like a, a, you know, a smoking gun. Like, this is the reason. It was kind of like a bunch of, uh, you know, straws and uh, breaking the camel back. And, and I think all of them are kind of weave into the larger just uncertainty about the 2020 season and, you know, baseball right now during a pandemic. Um, everything that comes of it, of being uncertain about the role or, or being uncertain about wanting to ramp up in this short period of time, they all stem from that larger uncertainty, right? Um, right. But I think it's clear that they want him under this very measured usage pattern of a starter and that's the kind of the the big ceiling of talent which is why the white Sox are so keen to acquire him in the first place as they saw him as a starter and wait and as they were in development as such maybe in a way that a, a win now organization like boston might have would have, might have thrown to the wind uh, you know johnson papelbon never got to develop into a starter maybe kopech wouldn't have either um so i think that definitely 2021 please assuming it's going to be a normal season um, it would be about a very measured return to the rotation. So, yeah, I guess I wouldn't be shocked. I would be surprised that you could say that a guy who literally hasn't pitched in since 2018 needs to be like very monitored about his usage or that he's fresh off Tommy John surgery in a certain sense because it's so long ago at that point. But I wouldn't be surprised given that the touchiness about his usage that they would stagger around, that he would be you know, 160 innings rough about, or he would do the similar thing of going to AAA for a quick stint. It, it does. The vibe I definitely got was that they are very measured about how they want him deployed and how they want his career to progress, that this was a big shock to the system that he got hurt, and they want to be very careful and uh, you know, uh, tiptoe the way that they bring him back in. So now that I'm like talking out of my head, you've talked me into it that, yeah, I, I think they might stagger him out again, just because it, it was, it's a very cautious response that has eventually um, um, led them to this path. So why would that not be continue uh, uh, when, when uh, you know, the, the magical vaccine that cures all our problems, uh, you know, creates a normal 2021 season. You mentioned Gio Gonzalez. So back to the White Sox starting rotation in 2020, you tweeted out that Gonzalez says that his shoulder feels better than when it did in spring training when spring training got cut short. Is he going to be that fifth starter, James? Is he going to be starting games for the White Sox in 2020? Man, I don't – I mean, I assume so. Like, I, it's not like I think – he's the guy I'm least certain about. But I'm not individually right. extremely skeptical about his ability to start. Like, today went well. He threw three innings, which is as much as anybody else has thrown in their start. I had, you know, in the, in the, ideally I'd be a magazine writer who only had to write two, twice a month or something. And I would never be wrong, but there's a daily turn for content. So maybe three days ago, I wrote like, he's the least likely guy to be in a rotation. Or if I had to pick the rotation now, he'd be out. 
And now I just watched him pitch three innings and was fine. And you know, he said that he tested the real test of his shoulder was throwing off speed and it went fine. So he feels good about it. And, and, and now it seems a little bit more like, you know, he could do it. But at the same time, this is the guy who probably has the most red flags about him in terms of being ready. And that's with a guy who's coming off Tommy John with Carlos Rodon. In the sense that he said, if, you know, as much as we heard, is like, oh, Gio's doing fine. He said if the season went as normal, he doesn't think he would have been ready for opening day because he felt like his shoulder um, issues weren't really behind him. And he felt like he really needed those three and a half months off to really rest it up. And the, he, until until he went today, he didn't know how his shoulder was going to respond at all. So it seems a lot more like we were uncertain until we got to this point. Obviously, the next start will be another hurdle. And he even said that ideally – he would have pitched four today, though that sounds more like the player was eager to push it more than the coaching staff, more than that, more than that he actually got tired and or he got sore, and that's why they pulled him. It doesn't seem like anything went wrong. It's just typical player overeating it. So right now, he's still the guy with the most like, well, is he going to be okay start to start? But there's nothing really dragging him below, and they acquired him for this purpose to, to, to provide start of certainty. I just don't know who in – who's getting dropped out for him, or if they're just doing a six man, like we can plug in with a bullet, Lucas Giglio and Dallas Keuchel. I'm pretty sure they're not trying to put change Dylan Cease's role. They stink really highly of him. They've been very resolute with Ronaldo Lopez um, this entire time uh, that he was going to be part of the rotation as well. And, you know, Carlos Rodon is, started a game and worked as long as anybody and says he's full up. He did mention a little thing about his velo being down. And so obviously that's another thing that is not a, you know, sound the alarms on its own, but it's now something we're waiting to see improve the next time out. So it's kind of like those two guys, I would say I'm most uncertain about, but neither guy I would say like, Oh, he's headed to the pen. He can't start. It's, I think they have the depth they need to get to the season. And we're maybe we're, you want to be overloaded so that you have enough so that something goes wrong. You don't have to, uh, you know, you know, be short or rush a guy who's a rookie in like they've done here, Jimmy Lambert. But I don't know which one's going to falter at this point. And I wouldn't want to say like, oh, I'm skeptical of this guy or I don't believe this guy is healthy. It's more we're seeing how they get to the ramp up and, and one will drop out. So probably more likely than not, Gio Gonzalez is going to make a start uh, for the White Sox at this point um, this season. But hell if I know exactly how it works. And finally, before we let you go, Luis Robert falling down after his swing in which the ball landed four rows into the center field bleachers is one of the weirdest swings I've ever seen, James. Also one of the top five most athletic things I've ever seen a baseball player do. And it also confirms that we are still playing with the super bouncy ball uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, Obviously, that's the highlight reel. But how has Luis Robert looked in other parts of his game while you've been watching him during the scrimmages? I just think he looks so good in center field. It's just very fluid. Like, I'm not <laughs> – I don't want to go to negative town. But, like, part of me was a little skeptical, like, that Adam Engel was a bit more just elite-level makeup speed than, you know, truly great outfield reads at all times. You know, he had, I, I definitely think the season where he got like gold glove finalist, old glove finalist, that five times fast, that he was truly like really good. But I felt like he had stretches of good and stretches of, you know, we'll make a mistake every now and then, but has great athleticism. 
Robert is just very fluid to me. I feel like his reads are very solid. I don't feel like I ever see him um, panicking very often. He did. He was a little like slow and on like a bleeder that he let like drop in front of him, but he still almost caught it because he has, you know, the intense makeup speed. speed. Um, I, I feel like he's almost leisurely out there because he knows he can kind of turn on the jets. You'll almost see him like jog after a ball on the read as he takes a little time to just fully get comfortable where he feels like it's going to end up. And then he can always just turn on an extra little boost to get it. I don't really feel like I see him panicking or, or rushing to recover very often. Maybe the other day when I saw it, maybe that's the first time since I've really seen him play center field. And everyone I talked to coming up said that the same way. Obviously the game is going to be a little bit faster. Now you're literally going to see higher exit velocities at the major league level. They probably see in Winston-Salem, but, I feel like he's really genuinely fluffed out there. And I think that's really big for him because unlike Eloy, unlike even Mankato, who I think, you know, even if we feel better about him than maybe defensive metrics, said, you're mostly expecting Mankato to be a scratch third baseman, maybe, you know, plus five one year or during his prime. But if, if Luis Robert has this baseline where he's always a plus center fielder, you can tolerate the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of the bat so much more because there's basically always like a, like an only one win floor coming from his defense every single time. And that, that allows you to really uh, roll with the punches for him a lot. And definitely, you know, this year where he could get either ambushed by the league or vice versa or, or neither. Um, if in the case of, if he gets fooled by a fastball, he can still catch up with it. If that, you know, is something that projects out long-term um, it, it, it really makes everything else easier to deal with. You can follow James on Twitter. He's at J.R. Fegan and read his excellent coverage on the White Sox at The Athletic, which you should subscribe to because if you aren't, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, Also listen to James' podcast, White Sox Business, wherever you listen to podcasts. And James, you've been a very busy man. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to coming back on the Sox Machine podcast. My pleasure. Anytime. When you rely on the internet for everything... You need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on Internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. We are back, continuing this episode of the Sox Machine podcast, and now joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Always great to have James Vegan join the show. And I'd like to ask you about your thoughts concerning Yohan Mikado, who is now officially placed on the injured list. We discussed the concern on our last episode, but now with it being official that he's out for... Well, on Friday, he was out for 10 days, but now he's out for seven to eight more days. How likely do you think Mikata could be ready for opening day? Uh, I don't know. I think that's just the most honest answer I can give just because of how vague the White Sox are being. And, you know, part of that just might be they have to be vague. You know, it's, it's you know, maybe Mankata, you know, if he does have COVID-19 and he's asymptomatic and will otherwise be fine, but for some reason does not want to disclose it or make a big deal out of it, then maybe he'll come back and be 
no worse for the wear like we're seeing uh, other guys who are nearing a return or just you know, had their second uh, negative test and are able to re uh, rejoin their teams. Uh, it could be that simple, but uh, you know, until we have a bit more information on what exactly he's dealing with, I don't really feel comfortable seeing because I don't want to get my hopes up and I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, given just how erratic and unpredictable the the disease or the the uh, you know COVID nineteen is from you know person to person, regardless of age and whatnot, you know, and how unpredictable it can be, you know, circling back to have uh, worse symptoms than initially thought. Uh, I really don't want to get my hopes up about it, and any kind of clean return is a is a pleasant surprise for me. And, and James did make a good point when I asked him this question, because the answer was the same of, I don't know. But the point that he made, James, uh, Jim, cause you are also James, um, but never mind. Anyways, <laughs> the point that James... Am I in trouble? Yeah, yeah are you in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The point that James was making, though, was that Mikata during spring training was focused on better flexibility to avoid hamstring injuries, in which every single season he's gone on the injured list because the hamstring starts barking. He either pulls it or he strains it, and he's out a couple of weeks. Uh, last year, Mikata only played nine games in the month of August because of injury. And if he tries to rush getting back... That may that issue may arise again for Yohan Mikata. And that's another thing the White Sox have to be concerned about is that they don't rush him back too quickly, in which he hurts himself to get ready to join the team as soon as possible for the 60-game season. So it's kind of like a delicate situation that we don't know why he's on the injured list. Some you know, we could connect the dots, and if we are correct with connecting said dots. Uh, that's one obstacle that he has to overcome. Uh, but then trying to rush to get back and ready to go for opening day may leave him open, Jim, to possibly come across a, another injury that he's had to deal with every single year that he's been in the major leagues. So I thought that was a good point that, that James made is something to, to watch out for. If Mikata is cleared to go in the upcoming weeks before opening day, is to avoid getting himself hurt with any lower half injury. Yeah, and it's a it's a good point too. Like just uh, you know, real quick to tack onto that is that that's going to be I think one of Rick Renteria's toughest jobs going into the season is you know with only sixty games to play. Yeah, how do you push guys when they're not a hundred percent, or maybe if they're eighty percent, or if they're functional in some ways, like swinging a bat, but not others, like running. How do you manage that? How much do you push a guy? How much do you risk making something worse versus trying to, like in case of like Moncada, where there isn't really right now a great backup plan at third base? Uh, do you try to get like a few extra games out of him against a key opponent and risk like losing him for, you know, an extra five days if he aggravates it further? You know, you, you don't quite know. And I, I don't envy managers at all this season because I think their responsibilities are far more vast than they've ever been. But I think that's going to be, um, you know, basically having the entire season be like a pennant race where you just have to decide, uh, you know, how much to push people who may not have ever been pushed like this before. Right. It's not like you can give them, oh, it's the Tigers. We'll get Makata an off day, right? You need every win against Detroit <laughs> this year yeah. if you want to make the postseason in 2020. So there. You only get six off days, and it's not like you can just throw out the Sunday lineup because if you do that and it's not successful, 
sure you could do it over 162 games, but in a 60 game season, you may regret that at the end of the year, sitting some players out earlier in the year just to give them a day off. So I'm with you, Jim. This is going to be a tough job for Rick Renteria. And if Makata can't go, James thinks it's Chelsea Cuthbert that will replace you on Makata for the opening day roster. And that makes sense because Cuthbert has experience playing at third base. But considering all the options that the White Sox have right now, who would you like to see play third base if Mankata can't go on opening day? I think I still like Yermin Mercedes as at least a, a, a presence. You know, maybe not an everyday starter, maybe not somebody you want to bank uh, a good chunk of the infield defense on, especially like say if it's Dallas Keuchel on the mound and you might get, be getting grounders to the left side. I don't know if you really want to put Mercedes out for that. But I would like to see, you know, if Cuthbert's part of it, fine, especially with a 30-man roster. He's, you know, had stretches of adequacy, especially when he filled in for Mike Moustakis early in his career. And he plays good defense from what I remember and what I remember Royals fans saying about him. So, you know, throw him in there for a week or so. That's not bad, especially early season when defense could be a mess all around the league. And maybe that's one way for the Sox to differentiate themselves. But I would like to see you know, big picture or at least, you know, over the course of, you know, say Moncada is out for weeks, you know, maybe like a month, month plus. I, I would hope that Cuthbert is not getting a, you know, if he's getting a majority of the time, I, I don't think that's a great use of that opportunity, especially if he's the way, if he hits the way he has his entire career. Yeah, I can see and understand why he would get like a plurality of the playing time where maybe he gets like 40% of the playing time. But I think if they're not giving your mean Mercedes a chance to hit there, if he, you know, if he shows that his hands are at least adequate to you know handle balls hit right at him. And if Danny Mendick's not getting time, assuming that Mendick looks like the player he was last year where he deserved a shot, uh, then I think that's, uh, you know, missing an opportunity to learn things about guys who might be part of future rosters without really a whole lot of upside in return because Cuthbert, you know, as we've seen with him with other teams, especially the Royals, that, you know, you, if you try to play him too long at one position, like we saw with Larry Garcia last year, eventually that'll be exposed and, and you're going to want to switch to somebody else. I think it's uh, kind of going back to Yolmer in a way um, where Yolmer Sanchez, you know, decent for two weeks or so, a decent stopgap, but uh, the, the longer season goes on with him there, the, the more his flaws are exposed and, and the longer you realize that uh, it's, it's not the, uh, yeah, it's a situation that needs to be upgraded. We asked you on Twitter this question, if Yoel Mikata is not ready by opening day, who would you like to see be the White Sox starting third baseman? We had over 1,100 votes. And the result, Jim, is quite surprising to me. Andrew Vaughn got 41.3% of the vote. When considering Yerma Mercedes, we even had Lurie Garcia and Danny Mendick at the time because when we posted this poll Friday night, uh, we didn't know that if Chelsea Cuthbert had arrived in the United States yet because he was dealing with visa issues. Are you surprised that so many fans online would like to see Andrew Vaughn be the White Sox third baseman on opening day? Uh, that number seems a little bit high, but I expected him to get some support, and I think I'm ultimately encouraged by that. I mean, I would say it's not a great idea for opening day. I can maybe see in September, you know, if he looks great in the inter-squad games and they're, they are, you know, desperate for bats and really have a shot to get in the postseason, then sure, you throw him in the mix. 
see what happens. Uh, you know, the the uh, a postseason spot could be worth quite a bit for the White Sox going, you know, into future seasons to where you can you know shrug at maybe the the roster complications or service time complications that uh, spring forward from that. Uh, far down the road but for the time being i think that's putting a lot of pressure on him i guess i am ultimately encouraged though that the service time considerations are being ignored because where the white Sox are and trying to win you know we've talked about before i think it's time to put that conversation away so i appreciate that uh those poll results in that regard yeah your mercedes was second at 28.3 percent. so you have some supporters jim with your angle that maybe it should be your Mercedes as the starting third baseman for the White Sox on opening day. Uh, we'll yeah. see what happens for the White Sox. Hopefully, Yohan Makata can return soon, and this question uh, is moot. But I have a feeling, Jim, that I don't I don't think Yohan Makata is going to be ready for opening day. That's just like in my gut right now, my gut feeling. I'm not thinking with my brain or my heart. I'm thinking with my gut. And my gut says Makata's not going to be ready for opening day. He may not be ready for that opening weekend series against the Twins. And looking at the White Sox schedule, you're probably better off having him get warmed up through the taxi squad until the team visits Milwaukee because of logistics. And then you could have someone drive him from Schaumburg, Illinois, up to Milwaukee to rejoin the team. And then he'll miss the first nine games of the season, and hopefully he'll be good to go for the last 51. Yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, be an early case, assuming he's able to to get back in relatively short order, even if he doesn't make opening day. Uh, I think it, he'll be the earliest test case for what exactly Schaumburg will be like and how that works for players who are going to be either using it as extended spring training or just uh, you know, have to be called up at some point. But you know, will they bend the roster or will, will they bend uh, uh, lineups for him? And um, will they kind of turn into to B games where he bats every inning to uh, you know, get up to speed? Or is he on the base paths running? Or they, do they take him off after he reaches in order to save his legs and just get him at bats? Uh, I wonder how those will be covered and how will, you know, will there be like a, like the Daily Herald put somebody out there because, you know, suburban paper, maybe they they can easily sit out there or will somebody be on hand to see just exactly how those games are being run? I think that'll be kind of fascinating too uh, because it's unprecedented. We don't know what this looks like and, uh, and how... Uh, how it'll play, you know, players who are closest, closer to the majors and and, and more likely to be a, a part of the 30-man or 28 or 26-man roster versus guys who are like, you know, maybe like a Jake Berger type who's just there for the reps. So that's you on Mikata's situation. Then there's Michael Kopech, which we discussed earlier in the show. We discussed also a little bit last week. But when we talked about Kopech last week, we did not get the word that he opted out of the 2020 season. Jim, what are your thoughts about that news? Uh, yeah, I guess it's not a surprise based on, you know, the, like, you know, as we talked about with, uh, you know, Makata, just kind of the mystery around it, you wouldn't, ex- you you kind of can draw some conclusions and that if it's not COVID related and they said Kopech uh, was healthy, then it might be something else that's something bigger that's keeping him back and, uh, you know, saying that he wasn't delayed personal matter, going to give him as much time as needs. The writing is a, a kind of on the wall. I think the uh, yeah the lack of explanation. He doesn't owe anybody an explanation, but I think uh, 
it's awkward right now just because, you know, James had the reports uh, from, you know, um, sources on Kopech's side that was saying that he was uncertain about, uh, you know, ramping up for a 60-game season when his role is uncertain and, uh, you know, his his throwing program is, is not normal yet and how that's going to affect somebody like him who's trying to set himself up for the long term uh, and, and, and trying to be, you know, a, an every day or every fifth day starter come 2021. And, you know, there's that. But then when Don Cooper said that uh, he hadn't heard about that, uh, that kind of struck me as, huh, you know, like what is... I would imagine when it comes to pitcher plans and how guys are going to be used, I would think that he would have some part in that. So like, I'm thinking back to like Jake Peavy when he opted out of September, uh, when, back when Ozzie Guillen was a manager and it upset Guillen because Guillen didn't know, but Cooper was very much involved because Cooper is the guy who, uh, you know, Ozzie turned all the pitching plans over to and said, let me know what you decide. Uh, you know, so Cooper has been very involved with how pitchers are handled. So when he said that he wasn't certain, uh, what Kopech meant or, or that it was news to him, that, that struck my, uh, not really my ear, but my, my eye wrong and, 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 and kind of a discordant note. So, that made me think, like, oh, maybe it's something else. And the, and the thing with Kopech, you know, he, he has the, the uh, he has the background of uh, you know, being very open about anxiety and depression. So there's that, and you know, he you know, on one hand he's been open about it, but on the other hand, it might be something where it takes him some time to come to terms with it and to be open with it. If it is that, there's also the case where, you know, he's married to a celebrity, and you know, maybe you know, it's not something with him, but with you know, his family that he can't really discuss because of you know, news, uh, cycles and, and reports in other circles. And, uh, yeah, that's a case where, you know, that's a, you know, when you think about guys like Zach Wheeler and Garrett Cole and Mike Trout are on the league, Buster Posey opted out because of, uh, you know, the twins he adopted, you know, it, that's really their decision and their wives are not public. Their wives are public figures to the extent that they're married to, uh, celebrities, but they're not really known themselves. But I wonder when, you know, he, uh, like somebody like Kopech, who's married to a celebrity who has her own, uh, career to worry about an old own public image and you know uh, paparazzi rumor mills etc us weeklies etc you know all, all the all the stuff that a guy like Kopech would not normally be reported in uh you know or a pitcher would be reported in but Kopech might be that you know maybe there's a bigger concern uh that is beyond him that he can't really talk about right now like I said in the intro I don't blame Michael Kopech for opting out with everything that's going on this year if he doesn't feel comfortable, he doesn't feel comfortable. And yeah, yeah. I don't blame anybody. <laughs> like just, I wrote about it a little bit on, on Sunday, talking about Kopech's decision versus Luis Robert and how Luis Robert shows how fun the season could be and how Kopech hints at, uh, you know, how quick of a nosedive it can take. And yeah, it just, uh, it's on. Yeah. I hope it's, uh, yeah, I, I hope for Kopech's case, and I think Don Cooper said the same thing, that he hopes he's okay, and that's what made me think, like, oh, yeah, uh, if if Don Cooper isn't sure he's okay, then I wonder just how much anybody knows beyond, like, say, maybe, you know, Rick Hahn or, yeah, even Rick Renteria, but even if Rick Renteria doesn't know, does Don Cooper, <laughs> like, I wonder what the chain of uh, command and, and uh, communication is like. Does it matter, though? Is this worth a journalist to keep poking around this situation to discover the actual reason, or is this something that we can wait until Soxfest, if there is Soxfest, 
uh, in January for Michael Kopech to then finally open up on why he decided not to play in 2020? I think it can wait, especially if it's like a delicate matter. I think, you know, a, a journalist can poke or at least inquire or maybe, you know, send a text occasionally just asking, you know, just out of concern for somebody you have a relationship with, even professional, just saying, hey, hope you're okay or hope you know, everything's well, just, you know, kind of dropping a note or like, you know, if, you know, family members or such just saying, hey, hope, you know, everything's okay, just out of general concern. Uh, but, you know, trying to get the scoop on it, especially if it is a personal matter or a matter, you know, pertaining to, uh, you know, somebody who isn't him, but is close to him, then yeah, that's not, yeah, I wouldn't feel comfortable or I wouldn't think it's worth it just because, you know, I, as, as weeks of the season go on and more guys opt out, I, I think he'll be less of an outlier and everybody will have reasons they want to talk about and don't want to talk about. And right now I think just him being the only case with the White Sox so far makes it a little bit fresh and novel and, and that novelty will wear off, I think. Well, while Mankata's on the men and Kopech is not going to participate in 2020, there are the highlights to discuss from the inter-squad scrimmages. So many home runs, Jim. A lot of home runs. We got Tim Anderson throwing bats again. Is this good or bad news considering who the White Sox hitters are mashing off on? <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, when watching that Luis Robert uh, fall down home run, uh, you know, I watched it a few times, you know, I think, wow, that's awesome. And, and look at that, you know, the bat speed and turning around and being off balance and still having the strength to get a ball out. Awesome. And then I saw the, the angle with Carlos Rodon's uh, reaction. And that's either, you know, befuddlement, amazement uh, at a, a teammate, a person you respect, you know, his physical ability, kind of hamming it up, you know, you know laughing it off. There's also that part of me wonders, though, with Rodon coming off surgeries and trying to get up to 100%, if that's like, oh, that pitch should have gotten there. You know, that pitch should have found the catcher's mitt should have been popped up to the right side. Uh, my stuff does not have life it needs to have uh, You know, when, when the regular season rolls around. I could see it both ways. I think for the time being, you know, given that I want to enjoy baseball, I'm, I'm uh, on the side of, wow, Robert's, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, but, you know, when you see Gio Gonzalez struggling a little bit and, and the guys who, ha you know, when you have Gonzalez and Rodon, those are two guys coming off uh, surgeries or, or in, in Gonzalez's case, uh, just a, a spring training injury, they're still slow to come back from. That does make you pump the brakes a little bit on just how much they can offer immediately or how many innings they should be expected to cover in a given start or, you know, if it's not a start, maybe like a, a, a piggyback outing. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking like, it's great to see that Tim Anderson is not missing the meatballs. But I'll tell you this, neither will the Minnesota Twins in 11 days on opening day if the pitches are not better. Like, I just, I just kind of chuckled to myself. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, this is great that everyone's hitting home runs and they've hit 10 home runs so far in the intra-squad you know, games. But... Man, uh, I hope the pitching <laughs> shapes up or I hope they ramp up because yeah. it's clear that the bats are ahead of the pitchers right now. Yeah, well, it reminds me of the discussion we had talking about the Twins and White Sox having the, the massive home run disparity at guaranteed right field where it was 27-8 right. in favor of the Twins. It's like, 
well, you know, you know, extrapolating to 162 games, maybe this year will be 27-20. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Know, more homers, but also just as many homers given right. up. Well, I know this is something that we've talked about a lot, and we've written a lot about on Sox Machine, but part of the home run problem is the pitchers give up a lot of home runs too. So you need you need both in order for this formula to work in the White Sox favor. They need to hit more home runs. They also need to allow fewer more fewer home runs, uh, and and hopefully that shapes up. I mean, again, it's just intra squad scrimmages. Nothing to be worried about. But <laughs> while it's great to rave, oh man, look at all these home runs. Consider on who they're hitting these home runs off right now. Uh, and hopefully that starts to calm down a little bit because the White Sox definitely need their pitchers uh, to be ready to go on opening day. Now, speaking of White Sox pitchers, not new faces, but it's nice to see Dane Dunning and Jimmy Lambert pitching again. Jim, is mm-hmm. there a chance that we could see either pitch for the White Sox in 2020? I would say Dunning is you know has a chance. I would say Lambert is further away, but uh, you know if, if disaster strikes, he could be one of the guys called upon just because before the surgery at Birmingham, he was on track for either a, a September call up uh, that year or you know maybe a, a spot start or test run the following year, and then Tommy John surgery happened, and you know end up getting knocked out for you know the the normal amount of time, but. Uh, Dunning should be ahead of him. I, I think he's got, uh, you know, Lambert as he was coming up was developing a new approach. Um, you know, the, the Matt Zaleski high fastball curveball, you know, ditch the, you know, pitch up in the zone, uh, ditch the, uh, slider and pounding the zone away. And, and, you know, he, he was learning that in Birmingham a little bit uneven there, but was showing the stuff at least to compete once he, you know, had a better handle on stuff. I think Dunning was pretty much there. His approach was, uh, you know, he was still, he was still, uh, you know, working on his secondary pitches and still improving like, the power and sharpness of them. But, you know, the command was there. The, the fastball velocity for a starter was there. Uh, curveball was coming around. You know, he was, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that he was, um, you know, on trajectory to be a fourth or fifth starter, uh, projected for the long term now we just don't quite know whether he'll you know hold up because he's missed a fair amount of time hasn't pitched since uh 2018 so there's just a whole lot of time missed and he needs time to get back but you know given his age that he's 25 and that uh you know the season you know if he yeah i think if he appears at some point this season he still won't be certain enough and the white Sox will have enough pitching depth to where they won't need him to start the season in the majors next year, he's already using an option. So there really aren't any kind of service time concerns, uh, any kind of, he's going to be really expensive. So I, I think should the rotation break or break down to the point where Dunning is needed and Dunning looks good for the audition that looks healthy for him, uh, both, uh, you know, physically and, you know, he's mentally prepared to struggle in the big leagues. Yeah. I, I really don't see any point of avoiding him. It's better than like, you know, giving, uh, you know, Ross Detweiler, another shot just because of, uh, you know, what the White Sox can learn. I think that's, you know, you tie it to third base and giving your mean Mercedes and, uh, Danny Mendick, uh, at bats over Chesler Cuthbert in the long haul. Same, same kind of idea. Is there a way to balance though, with learning about players in a year, the White Sox are hoping to be in postseason contention? I think at some point there's just going to be, you know, it's going to be 
necessary or he can't avoid it. Should, you know, injuries happen, should he need a fifth starter? Um, right. Yeah, you know, it's just going to be no way around it. And I'm hoping that, you know, I'm thinking like way back to Daniel Hudson when he was with the White Sox and the White Sox okay. needed an extra starter. And he was, you know, uh, he was put in a position where he ascended up the ladder in a hurry. I think he, he had, you know, four different levels in one year. Got called up, was still trying to, you know, throw strikes in the majors, but only got like, I think, three starts before the White Sox traded him for Edwin Jackson. And then turns out that Hudson had a really good year with the Diamondbacks. Eventually got hurt and had, you know, two Tommy John surgery. So the White Sox didn't miss, uh, miss out in the long haul. But, you know, Hudson eventually proved himself a capable starter in the majors. He just didn't get the shot because, with the White Sox, because they were trying to win that year. I don't think that, uh, you know, should... Dunning be the equivalent of Hudson, somebody who's called upon because they need starts and you know, God, God willing, cross your fingers that he works out. But the, the, the chances of him having a smooth introduction are maybe against him. Uh, I would hope that uh, the White Sox decision makers and White Sox fans just accept that we don't know exactly what's going to happen. This is a weird year. Uh, trades may be harder to come by. Um, you know, injuries might be you know easier to come by, especially if you lump in COVID-19 cases with injuries that, uh, you know, you have to expect more guys to be absent or count on, on a cluster of absences that make uh, minor league depth that you weren't counting upon in a normal year all of a sudden necessary and whatever happens, happens. Uh, I would hope that the pressure is minimal, uh, you know, from Rick Renteria and Don Cooper and also from White Sox fans that if Dunning comes up, gets shelled in three or four outings that nobody holds that against him because really this was supposed to be a year where he was supposed to have two to three good months in Birmingham and Charlotte to get tuned up before he was even considered an option. Right. Yeah, that that's a good point, Jim. Uh, it is that balance, though, that's going to be tricky for the White Sox this year because I agree with you. I think it is worthwhile to see if Dane Dunning is someone that the White Sox could use in 2020. And if he performs well, okay, is he someone the White Sox can, can consider in 2021? Because this is the make or break year for Carson Fulmer, right? He's, he, if I think he becomes a free agent after this year or they, I oh, know he's just control, out of options, just out of options. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, right. So this is the make or break year for Carson Fulmer. Uh, and he's only got 60 games to prove himself. Uh, so that's really unfortunate for Carson Fulmer. Uh, if Fulmer's not part of the White Sox long-term future, could Dane Dunning fill the role that the White Sox were hoping that Carson Fulmer could? Uh, and then he goes back to third base. Is it war? It does you know? Is there a drop-off between Cuthbert and Euro Mercedes at third base, considering all factors, offense and defense? If it's close then why not give Mercedes that opportunity? Because you got Mercedes, you got control of Mercedes beyond 2020, where Cuthbert, you just signed him to play third base for the Charlotte Knights. That was the original game plan. So the, I, I am curious about this balance because obviously you want to give some of these prospects an opportunity to prove themselves, Jim, but you're also still trying to win. And if the guys that you signed to be depth, to, to play every day, for the Charlotte Knights, if those players give you the better opportunity to win, you give them the playing time over your own prospects, even yeah. though you still have some questions left to answer that that are left to be answered. Yeah, I think with Dunning's case, just when you look at the guys in, yeah, like Ross Detweiler, Drew Anderson, uh, that level of starter. There's nothing distinguishing them the way that Cuthbert has distinguished himself 
uh, distinguish himself for stretches at the major league level. With Cuthbert, I don't mind giving him two weeks of playing time where he's the bulk. He starts the bulk of the games just because he has a good glove and has occasionally shown up with the bat. I think with, you know, we've seen Detweiler, uh, Drew Anderson, you know, unless the White Sox have some kind of crazy idea for him to to revamp his arsenal, that uh, he's just somebody along the same lines who uh, is just there when disaster strikes. I think that's the case where, you know, Dunning would be, yeah, you stand a chance of learning something even if Dunning fails. And if and if Dunning fails, will he look that much different from Detweiler? I don't really think so. I think you know, also another way that it can be managed is just depending on how healthy the starters are, do you go to a four-man rotation or do you go to, like, say, um, you know, having a case where Dunning only needs to cover three or four innings versus trying to get him five-plus and then having, like, either Carlos or Don or Gio Gonzalez or whatever lefty is not quite hacking it for five innings himself, you know, come in and, and, you know, take a tandem start for a day. You know, that might be one way to introduce a guy like Dunning who may not be ready, but, you know, serves a purpose seeing how he looks against major league hitters and guaranteed right field. That might be one way to bring him into where you're learning something, but also not sacrificing games. Uh, yeah, especially since like this season where every game is a series, you're not sacrificing an entire series basically by having Dunning, you know, try to carry the bulk of the innings in a game. Before we start answering some P.O. Sox questions, my last question to you, Jim, will you watch the White Sox scrimmages live this week as they are now finally available either at NBC Sports Chicago for those that live in the area or on Facebook Live for those that have Facebook and follow the White Sox account? I will try to. You know, if it's on Facebook, I should be able to. If it's on, you know, if it's only on NBC Sports Chicago, I'll have to see if I can. If you need a login, I don't. Yeah, be, yeah, being out of the market, so, so I'll have to see what I can do. But it it would be very beneficial if I could for writing about it. But I, I think I, I'll be able to I find have a YouTube way. YouTube TV. I I can have family. I can have family in quotes accounts. So if you need a hand, Jim, all you gotta do is ask. Okay. All right, we'll get you. We'll get you right. that opportunity to watch the scrimmages. Yes, White Sox scrimmages, baby! Woo! <laughs> well, I know it's baseball, <laughs> though. I mean, I've been watching the KBO, and that's been exciting, and that's quality baseball. Um, but when you are a White Sox fan or any fan of the major league teams, uh, watching your favorite team get ready to ramp up for a season has a bit of a different feel to it. It still feels like spring training, and maybe I'll get bored of it by Wednesday. But at least for the first couple of days, it'd be cool to see Luis Robert hit. Yeah, I think with the you know KBO, I've enjoyed watching it, but not having the context of player histories or not knowing what to expect from a certain guy at bat or on the mound or in the field. You get some scouting reports from ESPN, but just not knowing their histories and and you know what you expect from them does take something out of the game it a does. little bit. That's how I feel watching the Premiership, like trying to watch soccer. I understand some of the club's histories, but I don't understand or I don't have a great wealth of knowledge in the players on the field. And I don't know who's a good squad and who's a bad squad. I still enjoy watching, but I'm not invested like other fans are. Uh, And that's kind of how I feel about the KBO. I still enjoy watching it, but I'll probably pay more closer attention to the White Sox scrimmages than the Korean Baseball League uh, this upcoming week. And I'm sure a lot will as well. There will be tons of content on Twitter and Facebook as people are taking screenshots and video 
uh, from the broadcast. Again, the first one is going to be on Monday, July 13th, around 1 o'clock Central Time in Chicago. So again, if you have NBC Sports Chicago or if you follow the White Sox on Facebook, you should be able to get the video feed and watch the White Sox live scrimmages. But coming up next, it's our favorite part of the show as we answer your questions in P.O. Sox. At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business every day are nothing short of heroic. And you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. Like the breaking ground on new construction things. The every box and barcode matters things. And the driving the family business forward things. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance, wholeheartedly for you. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by following us on Twitter at Sox Machine or helping support the site and show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And Jim is here to answer your questions this week. And Jim, our first question comes from Andrew. And Andrew's asking, what do you think would happen if a division was unable to play all their games due to an outbreak? That is a great question. <laughs> I've been, you know, looking it up and, uh, you know, reading various reports on the Athletic and ESPN, and I think that's just a question. Yeah, that's a bridge the league is going to cross when it gets there. Is you know, basically uh, has I, I imagine some rough ideas in mind, but uh, really it's going to require kind of a feel thing, and, and it's going to require a bit of like what makes sense based on how many games have been played, what the schedule looks like going forward, and such. Uh, to know like what's maybe the fairest possible outcome. I think imagine initially if there's an outbreak and say like if teams have to miss isolated games, I imagine those games might be treated like rainouts to where they might be pushed towards the back end of the schedule to see if they're necessary, if, if those games will perhaps decide a division or a postseason spot. If it turns out to be like a cluster of games, or if it turns out to be like where teams forfeit, or or you know, ordinarily it seems like a, you know, just a team won't be able to field a roster of 25 and it might be unsafe for players to report to the ballpark based on uh, you know where, what contract uh, contact tracing points to, that uh, you know just might not be safe to play those games. And then is that like you know the fault of the host team and do the does the road team win or what have you? So I think you know there's going to be that kind of uh, you know forfeit versus suspended game you know for isolated games. Now if it takes out like a chunk of the schedule like a like a week of games and you can't possibly make it up without pushing the postseason way back. I wonder if, you know, it's going to be a case where they look at what kind of shape those teams are in and then decide playoff spots by um, just what the standings look like and, and, you know, whether their games behind other teams in the wildcard spot based on their standings, even if they're missing like seven to ten games from their own record. You know, that might be one way to do it. Uh, another way might be just to, like, say if the entire division is a mess at the end of the season, uh, do does does Major League Baseball like forego the wild card game in that league and just pick the top four teams from the two divisions that are largely unaffected? Uh, I think you know there are a lot of ways it can go and a lot of ways it can go by seeming like the fairest possible way that also preserves some kind of priority of safety. 
Uh, that's my, that's really my guess at this point. Uh, and when you have 60 games left, I think there's a lot of hypotheticals. I think as like maybe, you know, you know, fingers crossed, you get to the second half of the season with rosters largely intact and the games and competition looking pretty fair and uncompromised, then it might be easier to round down some options, say, okay, can't make up this series, but, you know, uh, like say the, the Astros have a seven-game lead over Oakland, so if they miss four games, it won't really affect the integrity of the postseason. Then you might be able to, to decide exactly what games can be made up and what games can't. But I think right now, uh, you know, when you have 60 games in front of you, I think there's just going to be a lot of holding your breath and lots of phone calls between front offices and owners and the, uh, the Park Avenue office in New York trying to figure out what exactly is fair. Andrew, great question. And hopefully... It's not a scenario that comes into play, but every single day, Florida seems to be breaking records, and you got two teams in that state. Arizona, too? Yeah, it's it's getting really dire in certain states of this country, and we'll see on how Major League Baseball addresses it. But again, knock on wood, hopefully this is something that does not have to become a, a real situation that Major League Baseball has to deal with. But great question, Andrew. Our next question comes from Mark. And Mark is asking if the White Sox are out of contention at the trade deadline. Do you see them moving anyone? And conversely, if they are in contention, do you expect they would make any moves? Well, the White Sox are largely in, in good shape when it comes to their roster. Um, you're not having to patch too many holes the following year. Um, yeah, they've set the roster that way with their signings, like of C-Shack and Encarnacion and Gio Gonzalez. So when it comes to that, um, they don't really need to make moves. And if the year is a mess based on either, like say, you know, if the absences of, of Kopech and Moncada turn out to be, uh, you put a lot of stress on the depth and then other guys go down and just, it's a mess. Uh, the White Sox can largely, you know, um, you know, just, uh, you kind of wipe their hands and say like, just get guys reps. We'll punt this year and think about next season and, and largely hope the band is back together uh, when uh, the next spring training rolls around. But I think, uh, you know, if they are looking to move guys, I think we talked about this a little bit on Sox Machine, but James McCann might be one guy who I think, you know, given his situation where he's uh, blocked behind Yasmani Grandal from above and then below him, you have guys like Yermin Mercedes, maybe not a catcher. Zach Collins, maybe not a catcher, but guys who can at least make use of that time behind the plate. Maybe the White Sox say, you know, if they're indeed playing out the string and looking to, uh, um, you know, think about next year, maybe they talk to McCann and say, like, do you want us to move you? Uh, do you want to go to a team that needs catchers? Like, say, Kansas City. Uh, you know, Kansas City doesn't expect to be in it, but right now they are missing all their catchers on their 40-man roster. Uh, Cam Gallagher and Sal Perez have both tested positive for COVID-19. Um, and they have some other guys who are, you know, on, you know, non-roster invitees who are in play, but their catching depth has been uh, decimated. And you can imagine like other teams having the same issue along lines based on injuries or positive tests that they need to catch her all of a sudden, you know, maybe they talk to McCann and say, would we be doing a favor by moving you just for some live arm? Uh, because, uh, it just, you know, you won't be getting playing time here. You're a free agent after the year. Do you want a place where you can put together a highlight reel for your next employer? And if he says, okay, then maybe they try to move him just for somebody. And then, you know, if they're, if they're looking the other way um, where they're trying to add to the team, I can see it being the same case. We talked about it a little bit last week where it seems like it's going to be hard for teams to move players either because there aren't prospects to trade when they, there isn't really a, a robust Meyer league season 
and uh, teams just might be more confident in their own protocol and how their guys are behaving and keeping each other in line versus you know, uh, bringing in somebody from outside their protocol and trying to get them to fit uh, what they've been doing in their own situation that they just might think might want to dance with who they've brought. But, you know, maybe the White Sox in a position to add might be trying to find another team's McCann, you know, where they're just uh, you know, a player who is going to be a free agent, a rent-a-player type who just doesn't serve a purpose on that roster but can be put to use on a team that's competing and, and is beneficial to everybody where the team trading him gets somebody interesting. Uh, the team uh, acquiring him gets some help and that player gets an opportunity to play more than he would on his current employer. Then maybe the White Sox can benefit from it on that side. But really, I think uh, the way I'm looking at it is the team's, uh, I guess the bulk of the team's production or the help they're going to be getting are, it's going to be coming from inside the house. Mark, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Eric, and Eric is asking, without three-dimensional people in the stands, is there any word if fireworks will still be set off after home runs? I haven't seen it, and uh, yeah, I can see the argument both ways. If you're trying to preserve some kind of home feel uh, for a team and, and some kind of home field advantage besides just you know being able to sleep in their home beds and know, uh, you know, where their meals are coming from and so forth. Uh, all the things you think about way more now and, and under these circumstances, then maybe, you know, occasional fireworks blast for a home run fits and feels a bit different than hitting a home run on the road. Um, however, you know, I think it's probably a good time for the White Sox to be good neighbors and just ask, uh, you know, neighborhood officials, uh, you know, city officials, what's best? You know, is it better if we don't launch fireworks? We'll be giving the dogs in uh, Armour Square and Bridgeport a break, uh, you know, and, and all the people who don't care for it. Um, you know, will it will we be being better neighbors by not having fireworks? Because I don't think it makes that big of a difference. And, uh, you know, when, you know, thinking back to the, um, the, the fanless game in Baltimore and just how, anticlimactic that was. I remember Chris Davis hitting a massive home run that just went unnoticed largely, you know, teammates celebrated him. Uh, you know, the, the broadcasters commented on just how far it went and how it rattled around, uh, uh, Utah street, Camden yards. Uh, but it was just, uh, it was weird how anticlimactic a blast should have been. It should have been, you know, fans going nuts, jumping out of the seat as soon as the, the, uh, ball hit the bat and, uh, just, uh, your replays and just, uh, all, all these kind of raves of fans chasing it, chasing a ball where you don't see a ball often hit. Uh, that, you know, that's going to be the kind of stuff that's missed. But on the other hand, I remember just how quickly play resumed after a home run was hit. I think one of the benefits of the season will be a lot faster games uh, just because of the lack of in-game production, uh, you know, not having to trace foul balls when they go in the stands, not having to uh, have smoke clear after a homer or not having, uh, you know, pump-up music uh, after a double, you know, all the stuff that uh, pitchers wait for stuff to finish before, you know, going in the mound or before a player, uh, you know, reaches the plate. I think uh, without that production, players are just going to be going about their business a lot faster. Hey, Rob Manfred gets his wish. Yeah, and and you know, <laughs> part, it, you know part of that's you know, you know, you know kind of you know, uh, I think uh, you know, unfortunate and cynical and things you never want to see again. But I do wonder if there are some things to learn from it, uh, where you balance some in-game production against uh, what's best for the pace of fans watching on TV, especially like say with national audiences. You know, come come postseason time. 
uh, are there things that uh, stadiums can eliminate to uh, you know, that uh, you'll make the game go about a bit faster without completely taking the emotion or you know the theater out of an in-game experience? I didn't think about that. One thing that start that seemingly to pick up now, more and more teams are committed to this. Jim is pumping in crowd noise and music. And originally, I thought it was for the TV. It was we talked about this last week as well. Maybe it would help protect the players. But there's been additional reporting for these multiple teams, especially like the Red Sox. And it is to help their own players on the field so they're not hearing the opposing dugout and they're not hearing media criticism from the press box. I guess the Chicago Cubs players are able to hear at Wrigley Field what the media has been saying about them from the press box. Uh, What do you think about that as far as the White Sox also joining that trend and pumping in artificial crowd noise? Kind of like a white noise machine. Kind of, um, yeah. Yeah, if it's like that, I don't see that being objectionable. I mean, it will be fake and, and odd and such, but you know, we talked about it you know, a, a while back talking about just how it might help to just have some kind of low murmur when Jason Benetti and Steve Stone aren't talking, just to keep your ear involved. If you're in another room, if you're making, you know, making dinner while the game's on or something, and just you know, know that... The, the feed hasn't cut out or that uh, your internet hasn't uh, uh, stopped working and, and, and uh, you're actually still getting the game. I think it makes sense to have some kind of noise, let, you know, keeping your ear involved even when people aren't talking or action isn't happening. Uh, I can see the same thing in the field, just keeping people engaged and feeling like they're part of a normal major league game. I, I, I think I would object to say if somebody's working a soundboard to, uh, make fake noise, you know, make a, a a fake crowd roar when something happens. That would strike me as a bit fake and creepy and unnecessary, maybe gameable by certain opponents. Like say if, uh, you know, like three, two, uh, a three ball count with bases loaded and you can walk in the winning run, our teams could be like ramping up the volume to try to psych the pitcher out <laughs> you know, when, it, when that volume has never been there. Uh, will that be something that's unfair? Then, uh, I wouldn't want to see that. I think it's you know, fine if you know, the crowd's doing it, but having uh, somebody working a board where they're turning the volume up and down, I wouldn't like that. But is a white noise just to keep uh, players more involved in the task and uh, getting their, yeah, I guess, more normal brand of baseball excellence? I don't really have an objection to that. So you don't want to hear everybody clap your hands. Pop, 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 or the woo! <laughs> Oh, the Ric Flair woo. Yeah, the Ric Flair. Like, there was a a brief moment where I appreciated that just because that was at the nadir of the rebuild and just having these games where uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, either Ric Flair's or Wolves or or Coyotes are just uh, barking at each other from one foul pole to another foul pole. (laughs) Nobody else is in the stands because it's that depressing. It it did capture a certain moment in time. But yeah, now I think it's, uh, we're largely past that. Well, thank you so much for your question, Eric. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. If you have a question or topic for a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. And you can also help support Sox Machine at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters get additional content every single week from the podcast and add free version of the show. And we also have some giveaways 
as well that are currently in production. So hopefully some of you that do support us on Patreon will be receiving some new Sox Machine swag, uh, hopefully in time for opening day. Uh, So those are some of the things that we're working on in the background. And if you enjoy our content and you do want more, again, go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine Podcast. Again, a huge thanks to one of the busiest guys I know right now covering the White Sox, James Fegan of The Athletic. I highly recommend subscribing to The Athletic to read James's work. Obviously, there's more baseball writers as well. They pretty much have everyone uh, that you would want to read over on The Athletic, but James does terrific work. And if you subscribe to The Athletic, you help support James, and that is something that I highly encourage everyone to do that listens to the show or visits Sox Machine. Yeah, subscribe through his story. I think if you subscribe through the links of one of his stories, oh, I think that's nice. I, somehow. I did not know that. Or I've seen that, I've seen that mentioned before. I'm not sure if it's like a huge metric, but uh, we need to uh, protect James. So, <laughs> by so any what you're means saying possible. is, when James posts a story and you subscribe to the Athletic through his story link, there's some metric that helps support James. Yeah, I've well, I've seen like writers or editors mention like this story drove so many subscriptions. Wow, everybody's reading it and su- subscribing because of like a, the Danny Farquhar story. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like I remember seeing comments that uh, such and such story drew you know so many people subscribed off the story. So I would yeah, I imagine it's counted somehow. I, I don't think jobs are <laughs> depending on it, but uh, you know if it helps, cool. And I think it it is counted a little bit. So. If you haven't subscribed and are thinking about it and want to, I would recommend going that way in order, so James gets all yeah, the credit. There you go. Great idea, Jim. So make sure everyone that's listening to the show, if you don't have an athletic subscription, again, I highly recommend it. James does excellent work covering the White Sox. And subscribe through the links of his story so he gets that credit. So great point by Jim. And, uh, yeah, again, this is the end of this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. We will be back Next week on Monday, it is the last week of Spring Training 2.0, which means we are getting closer to opening day. And as we inch closer to opening day, we are going to have White Sox wake-up calls for you during the week. We will also have Sox Machine Lives for you guys as well. So after Friday, July 24th, starting on Monday, July 27th, the Sox Machine podcast is going to go back to five days a week. Uh, So hopefully you guys tune in and you subscribe to the podcast, uh, which would be great, uh, especially if you want to hear White Sox content every single day. I know most of us are still working from home. We're still not commuting, uh, but we are still going to follow up with our original game plan for 2020 and have daily shows for you guys to listen five days a week, starting on Monday, July 27th. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more.
Granger, for the ones who get it done.